afternoon. Welcome to the Midday Report on 702 and Cape Talk with me, Mandy Wiener. Good to be with you today. ESCOM has just told us that uh, due to the low electricity demand and the expected return to service of two units earlier than planned, stage one load shedding will be implemented from 11 today. So that's uh, we're in it now until four o'clock. And then at four o'clock, stage two load shedding will resume until further notice. So that's the latest. We are expecting the electricity minister to start a briefing at 12.30. So if he does start speaking and we are still on air, I will bring you some of that so we can hear what the latest is. Remember, you can send me a WhatsApp voice note, 072-702-1702-072-567-1567. The presidency has uh, sent out a voice note, a statement confirming that the economist Tabi Lioka's membership of the Presidential Economic Advisory Council uh, has been terminated uh, immediately. This is the latest development in this saga, um, which is really engulfing uh, Lioka at the moment. We did hear from uh, the various corporates on which boards Tabi Lioka did sit, saying that she is no longer a member. So that is Anglo-American Platinum and MTN South Africa announcing that Lioka had resigned. Of course, this is all in light of the fact that um, she was exposed for allegedly lying about holding a PhD from the London School of Economics. She's continued to defend uh, her doctorate, but the LAC LSC finding no record of her being awarded a PhD by the institution. Let's have a listen to what the president's spokesperson, Vincent Maguena, is saying about this. On Monday, the 22nd of January, 2024, the president communicated to Ms. Layoka the immediate termination of her membership in the Presidential Economic Advisory Council. Ms. Leoga was part of the 19-member panel of the Presidential Economic Advisory Council, a non-statutory body whose participation does not require formal voting. The members volunteer their time and they're not employed by the presidency nor are they remunerated by the state. That's the president's spokesperson, Vincent Magwenya, on the latest decision out of the presidency. Well, let's uh, speak now to Kabelo Kumalo, who is the company's editor at Business Day, who uh, first uh, broke the story. Kabelo, good afternoon to you. Thank you very much for your time today. This has um, progressed, the story. Uh, the latest development, as we are explaining, is that the presidency has acted, but we have also now seen various corporates acting as well. What is MTN and Anglo uh, Platinum? Um, Anglo-American Platinum been saying and is what they're saying sufficient? Uh, good afternoon, Mandy, and, and afternoon to your listeners at home. No, I don't think it is um, even what the presidency is saying. Um, I mean, for the presidency to say that they don't vet people who can shape economic policy in South Africa and whether they are the right people to do so is astonishing to say the least. And MTN and, and, and I Amplat, Anglo-American Platinum, has also, you know, uh, that they not want to own up to, to their own lapses in their, in their corporate governance system. Um, I think credit must really go to people like NetCare, who, who uh, Ms. Leoka also served on their board for, for a year or so, who admitted that they dropped their ball in terms of verifying their qualifications in actual fact. They ignored their own report, verification report, they commissioned, which showed that her highest qualification is a master's, but still announced her to the public as a PhD holder from 
the said university. So I don't think corporate South Africa and the presidency uh, in the main want to, to be held responsible for, for, for dropping the ball, really, or in verifying uh, qualifications of people who, who, who feel important roles in society. Uh, Cabello, is there a, a broader conversation to be had here about vetting and, and verifying uh, credentials when it comes to corporate South Africa? We have seen it with various uh, politicians and, and doctorates in the past as well, um, but, but do you feel that there is a broader uh, issue that this particular case has highlighted? Yes, indeed. Like you say, I think we have had politicians before who have been exposed for misrepresenting their qualifications, but I think we have not as journalists, particularly as people who focus on corporate South Africa, not paid closer attention. We, you take it for granted that because these are corporate, they will do their due diligence, and you think that people, when they get appointed to these boards, in which me and you, really, our pension funds are invested in these companies, you'll think they would have done their, their due diligence. But this this saga uh, shows that uh, that is not the case, really, that people can just uh, turn a blind eye when even people uh, glaringly misrepresent their qualifications to them. Uh, it, is, it, is, it, is, it must be worrying to investors out there. And Cabello, uh, in terms of uh, what uh, Lioka is saying herself, in terms of defending her PhD, um, has she spoken out since these corporates have, have moved against her? Uh, has she said anything further? No, uh, the last we've heard from her really is that she still insists that this PhD exists despite both the London uh, University of London and the London School of Economics, which are affiliated a deny. I mean, there's also a list of people who were awarded PhD in, 20, in 2008, the year that she claims to have obtained her PhD, and she's not uh, she's not on that list. So uh, it's it's one of those things that she 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 has denied, despite overwhelming evidence uh, that this PhD, at least from this university, does not exist. Cabello, thank you very much for your time. Cabello Kumalo, the company's editor at Business Day, just giving us the update. Uh, there, the presidency now uh, deciding to terminate uh, her appointment to the Presidential Economic Advisory Council, which is voluntary. Look, I, I find this whole affair very sad. I think that's the best way to to explain it. I take um, no uh, no joy in seeing what's happened to Tabi Lioka, um, and I think it's a it's a very difficult thing. I think she did if she did and it certainly seems there's overwhelming evidence that she misrepresented herself I just wonder why um, considering she had a master's from the London School of Economics which makes her a very qualified economist why did she need to to misrepresent herself to say that she had a PhD and maybe there, there are more broader conversations to be had around that as well what are your thoughts send me a whatsapp voice note 072 702 1702 702 702 Mandy Wiener Weekdays 12 to 1 p.m. Eyewitness News reporting today that a sixth man has now died after a mob attack in Tembisa. Uh, it seems that uh, all six were beaten and stoned in this vigilante attack, allegedly by angry residents who took the law into their own hands in the early hours of yesterday. According to the reports, the men were targeted for allegedly committing crimes, including muggings, housebreaking and rape. Let's speak now to Tumisang Rapudi, who is the executive member of the Community 
Policing Forum in Rabi Ridge. Tumisan, good afternoon to you. Thank you very much for your time today. Uh, as far as you're concerned, was this a vigilante attack or how would you describe it? Uh, greetings, um, my lady, and greetings to the community and listeners. Um, as far as uh, the situation is concerned, it was a repulsive uh, reaction from uh, the community. So basically, uh, what happened, we are still trying to find out the core cause of uh, what really really, really transpired for those killings, actually. The people who, who were, were killed, um, were they known to you? Were they um, suspected of being involved in any kind of criminality? Well, of course, uh, among other news, or should I say word of mouth from members of the communities, um, it's suspected those uh, guys who were killed were among uh, the, 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 the troublesome uh, people within the community because now apparently uh, there was a criminal activity which happened on Friday. So um, that actually uh, caused the whole rubble for this incident to happen. However, it was never reported within the police station. So it's not on record that there was a criminal or a robbery uh, which happened on Friday. Then, how would you describe the relationship between the community and how would you describe uh, the relationship with the, the police? If it wasn't reported, why? Why wasn't it reported? Uh, basically, that is a personal discretion within, uh, from the individual who was robbed. However, our now and then emphasis to community is that whichever crime that it is small or big, report it, let it be written to book because now, now if we, we, we catch someone uh, within a, uh, doing a crime, wherever we find, we find him or wherever the police find him, they can never be linked to all the crimes because now what's been recorded is that individual crime. So we always emphasize to community members that they must report and open cases regardless small crime or big crime. So how then would you describe the relationship? Do you think that there's trust in the police in Tembisa or do you think that there is no trust and that's why this happened? There is a big concern of uh, the law within the country in terms of uh, criminals being brought to book, so which is troublesome to uh, community members because now community members will cry and say, we will report, they will arrest. After two, three days, they will see them on the streets or they'll be out on bail and continue with the same crimes. So that is a, a big challenge. It's a fight of what needs to be done, what, needs to, what does not need to be done. 
Chumisang, thank you very much. Uh, Chumisang Rapudi, the executive member of the Community Policing Forum in Rabi Ridge. Apologies for, for that line. But I think uh, important to hear the perspective there of the CPF uh, in, in Tembisa following this incident. Six people killed, uh, five on the scene. A sixth later died in hospital after being beaten and stoned. From reports, it seems as though the residents of, of Rabi Ridge saying that on Sunday night, the community rounded up people that they suspected of committing crimes um, by beating one after another, forcing them to point out their fellow gang members uh, whom they accused of terrorizing the community. And we saw this in Dipslert, we're seeing it in Tempisa now. What does that say about the public and the community confidence in the police? What's up, Mandy? On 072-702-1702. Good day, uh, Mandy. Uh, it's quite uh, significant developments that we're listening to regarding uh, the renowned uh, economist, uh, Ms. Luoka. But the issue of misrepresenting uh, qualifications, Mandy, is not new. You remember Gareth Van Onselen uh, did deal with the issue of a PhD, Dr. Paolo Jordan. Then there was uh, the issue of uh, that... Uh, woman from the SABC board who claimed to be uh, uh, having some qualification from UNISA. But I think uh, what really broke the camel's back is when uh, Remgro wanted to endorse her last year and then uh, suddenly everything rolled from there, you know. Yeah, so I think it's good that they have uh, now uh, let her go. Hey, good morning. Good afternoon, Mandy. Uh, thanks for a lovely show, man. Look, I fully share your sentiments, you know, why? I mean, if you have a master's in economics, you're very qualified, in my view. Why would you now want to say you've got the PhD to, like, to what end, you know? Do you want to be, do you want to inflate your, your, your qualifications? So, I mean, even with that master's, she fully deserved, from my view, to be in all those boards and all those gigs that she got because of her master's. Now, because of what she had said, she will lose almost credibility across the board. But she has a master's. I mean, I, I fail to understand, you know. But maybe it's a, it, there's a deeper problem. I don't, I don't know, but it's unfortunate, very unfortunate that we had to lose such talent because of, you know... Um, yeah, thank you very much. And, and that's why I say my sentiment in response to this is I'm, I'm very sad. I'm sad about what's happened. And I think it also speaks to just the enormous pressure people are placed under. Why did she feel the need uh, to misrepresent herself for having a, a doctorate when she had a master's from, from LSE? Um, and I think that's, that, that maybe there's a, a, a bigger conversation to have here around why uh, we do have such a big issue with misrepresentation of academic qualifications. 702, the midday report, Monday to Friday, 12 to 1 p.m. Pretty big revelations in the Senzo Miwa case yesterday because the investigating officer, Brigadier Bongani Ganinda, was on the stand. Um, and the revelations come around the fact that finally confirmation that this seemed to have been a contract killing and not a robbery gone wrong. Also um, revealing what one of the accused, uh, Mtoka Ziseni Mapisa's link to the murder may have been. Today, it stalled a bit, and that is because there is a dispute over dockets. Let's understand this with Homoto Modise, EWN reporter. Homoto, good afternoon to you. Uh, firstly, tell us what's happening today, because the matter has been stood down until two. Today we came with the understanding that the defence 
uh, was given an opportunity to go through a dockets that are linked to Bongani Ndanzi for various unrelated crimes, and they would then be ready to continue with their um, cross-examination of uh, the Brigadier Bongani Kininda today. But when the matter uh, began this morning, advocate George Baloi for the state rose to speak about how a rather serious uh, dispute ensued between the state and the defense in that the defense wanted copies, so physical copies, to be given copies of these uh, dockets. But the state was of the view that the order by the court was that they should um, be allowed to see the dockets but not make um, copies and take copies home. And that's based on the fact that the state believes that there is a security risk here if they are given these dockets. Now, I must say that these dockets are all unrelated. One of them is about a murder case um, in Guanongo, man. There's a couple of others, including um, a, a drug-related matter as well as um, one about ammunition. Uh, but the, the crux of the matter is that the, the defense then came today to kind of get clarity about what the order was because they want copies of these dockets. We then heard Judge Ratamukwateng clarifying today to say the order was not that you should be given copies because of what happened the last time um, where, you know, you may remember that uh, Sergeant Rapadu brought a list of cases and the lawyer showed it to the accused, breaching, um, you know, the court order. And so it was then clarified that they can only see the dockets. So now what's happening between about 10.30 when the matter was adjourned and 2 p.m. is that the defense is going through these dockets and hopefully at 2 we will then officially see um, a cross-examination of Brigadier Bongani Kenenda on the contents of the dockets. And also very briefly, there were some bombshells. I mentioned some of them yesterday. Are we expecting uh, more elaboration on that today? Well, you know, the, uh, the details that came out yesterday, it's important to clarify that these are from an affidavit that was made by Brigadier Kininda when she was applying for a warrant of arrest. It's also important to, to state that, um, you know, all those details are hearsay evidence. And the courts clarified that yesterday to say this is hearsay evidence. This is just an affidavit from the Brigadier. It is not officially the state's case. But I think it was important and I think it, um, you know, there was a lot here around how the fact that they do believe that this was actually a contract killing, or at least the state believed at the beginning of their investigation, corroborates what Advocate Kheri now for Africa Forum has been saying all along. And, you know, the details around Mapisa's link also, again, it's still hearsay evidence, but I think it was great to see how the state had linked him to this matter, because everyone's been asking, how is the Q number four linked? as no evidence has been led in court until this point, showing his link to Senzo Mayor's murder. Komoto, thank you very much. Komoto Modise, EWN reporter. So as uh, we've said, the matter reconvenes at 2 o'clock this afternoon uh, as they try and sort out that dispute around dockets. 702. 702. Mandy Wiener. Weekdays, 12 to 1 p.m. Let me give you a quick update on another court case we are following and uh, it is to do with two former security police officers accused of being involved in the kidnapping and murder of anti-apartheid activist Nokutula Similani in the 1980s. Bernadette Wicks following that one for us. Bernadette, good afternoon to you. The court is deciding whether or not one of the accused is fit, mentally fit to face trial. What's the latest there? 
Yes, well, the trial was actually meant to get underway back in 2022 and then had to be postponed because one of the accused, Willem Kutsia, contracted COVID. And when the case came back before the court and the trial was again supposed to get underway, the court heard that he was apparently suffering from a cognitive condition. And since then, there's been this to and fro between the state and the defence, with the state's own experts having said he is fit to stand trial and the defence's experts having said he's not. So now what's happened is the court's convened an inquiry to make that decision for itself. It's just got underway today and a specialist psychiatrist has taken the stand for the state and she's basically just spoken about her interviews and evaluations of um, Willem Kutsia saying that as far as she was concerned that he didn't seem to present with any sort of psychiatric problems or issues or diagnosable problems um, that, that she could identify. But that's as far as we've got so far in today's proceedings. And if the court decides that he is mentally fit to stand trial then we will see the trial actually getting underway finally at some point. Yes, theoretically. I mean, of course, there could ultimately be other delays. Um, this matter has been delayed over and over and over again because of various issues since 2016 when the accused were first arrested. And in fact, there were actually four accused initially arrested and two have since died um, in the interim during all these delays. So in theory, yes, we would then see the trial go ahead. But of course, there is the possibility that other things could hamstring the process. Benedette, thank you. Benedette Wicks, EWN reporter. So years, and we saw the same thing with uh, with yesterday's case, with the Cossas 4 as well, um, that we are a good 30 years, 40 years, um, after some of these uh, incidents actually occurred and these trials are still not really uh, getting underway. What's up, Mandy? On 072-702-1702. Good morning, Radio 702 listeners. I'm Jerry here in Tembisa. I had been robbed twice in the early hours of the morning while I was going to work with these guys traveling in a car with guns. They took my cell phone in June and in July. When you report this to the police, they say just because you don't know the suspects, there's nothing they can do. I really support this vigilantism because we flush out these criminals. If I can find them doing it here in the Ivory Park, I can do it because they abusing us we are the victim of crime and the police are doing nothing about this thank you bye hi mandy how are you hey mandy it's a problem eh? you know uh here in tembisa to be honest we don't have any relationship with the police and because you go and report the very same person tomorrow you will see that person walking on the street so sometimes it's useless to go to like police station and report the case because these people are known they are well known in the community uh, that they're robbing they're mugging people in a daily basis so for the community to just stand and trust the police who are not doing their job it becomes a serious problem you know Thank you very much for those WhatsApp voice notes. Look, we're certainly not advocating for any kind of vigilantism. I think that that would be irresponsible. Um, but it's interesting to hear the perspectives um, around why this is happening in areas like Dipsloot and uh, and Tembisa as well. Uh, so thank you for that. And it really does speak to the relationship with the police. I did tell you at the start of the show that we were waiting for Dr. Jose Ensora Machope to start his briefing, an update on the energy action plan. He's just begun. So let's have a listen to this. Um, it is Kurt of the SABC. What we've been doing is to find um, an, an architecture and a legal configuration on how best we are going to access that. And one of um, the, uh, the, the areas that is receiving attention is the possibility of us uh, 
uh, putting together uh, on the transmission side something that uh, is akin to the IPP office on the generation side, the independent transmission project uh, office to ensure that we are able to procure with speed, agility, uh, applying some degree of innovation and, uh, and, and ensure that we are able to access that uh, liquidity that's sitting with the private sector without relinquishing state ownership of, uh, of the grid. So in those permutations, we're working on accessing private sector liquidity, making sure that the state remains the owner of the grid through the National Transmission Company of South Africa that has been established. Um, so the point I'm trying to make is just to give comfort to everyone at home that unlike on the generation side, we're not waiting for the crisis uh, uh, to confront us. We are going to address that situation immediately. And this is in support of uh, ESCOM's work that they are already doing um, consistent with their transmission development plan, and um, which advocates for the expansion of uh, the network by 14,000 kilometers in the next uh, 10 years, as opposed to the 4,000 kilometers that they've expanded in the past 10 years. So you can see that there's a great deal of um, aggressive uh, deployment so that we are able to onboard the the renewable energy capacity. The IRP 23 that is out for public consultation does flag the issues on the transmission as a risk that requires attention. And that's why it's important that we must do everything possible to ensure that uh, we are able to provide for uh, additional capacity that is required, especially in the Cape provinces of the Northern Cape, Eastern Cape, and Western Cape. Otherwise, this uh, problem will sit with us for a very, very long period. And just to give you an um, update in relation to the performance on the generation side, the first one is that uh, uh, the Quebec Unit 1 uh, now is at 100% uh, power and has been synchronized, as we've uh, indicated before, on uh, the 18th of uh, no November. Um, and I want to mention uh, with great degree of pride and just to acknowledge and pay tribute to Mr. Ngumalo, uh, Eric, and the rest of the team on the generation side, the team at Quebec that are leading this uh, effort, that all commission tests have been successfully uh, completed. So that's a major, major milestone in uh, the quest for us to ensure that uh, we get the extension of life of this, uh, of this unit. And one of the major achievements which are understated is the fact that as a result of this work that the team has done, we have been able to uh, exploit an additional output of uh, 27 megawatts. So that's significant. So in addition to what is licensed, as a result of these improvements, the efficiencies, we are now producing 27 megawatts more than what uh, was being produced before by this unit. Uh, that's compelling. Um, and thanks to the work that uh, the team has been doing um, um, uh, Mr. Ngumalo, Becky, and the team, uh, we really want to congratulate them for this uh, excellent performance. So the long and short of this message is that uh, uh, Unit 1 now is uh, up and running. Dr. Josian Suramahopa, the Minister of Electricity, giving an update on the grid. He always does seem to try and bring us some good news. When you listen to him, he does highlight the positives. Um, and he does seem to have some good news for us there in terms of generation capacity, but also on, on transmission. But do you believe him is always the question. Let me know what you think. We'll keep watching that update from the Electricity Minister. What's up, Mandy? On 072-702-1702.
Hi, Mandy and team. Mandy, I think we should even question that masters. You know, how did she get that masters? You know, I think if we can answer that question, it, it might reveal a lot of other things that we all need to be aware of. Um, yeah, I, I'm starting to doubt even that masters. Yes, she may have that masters, but the question is how she got it. Uh, <laughs> Good afternoon, Mandy. Uh, the interesting thing is that the presidency was actually quite quick to act on Lou Walker. And yet, uh, on issues like uh, Zuelim Kiza uh, with his, with his uh, digital vibes and, and Nongolo Kivet uh, with her forte, he, nothing, nothing ever actually happened. There was absolutely no action from the presidency, but only walk. But well, once again, we're human beings. We take the road, the path of least resistance. V here. Hello, Mendy. Uh, regarding the Tabilioka qualification, PhD qualification issue, one of the most underestimated aspects of doing a PhD is actually the write-up at the end of the PhD. And I don't know what the full story is in her case, but if she left the institution hoping to write up the research she probably spent it for a few years doing and uh, went on to take up another job, it's almost impossible to actually finish that write-up and actually graduate. So that's one of the challenges and I think maybe there might be something to that in this case. Thank you very much for all of those views. Uh, yeah, you make a good point in terms of how quick the presidency acted here. Maybe it's because Tabilioka does not uh, uh, have a great influence within the ANC and a large constituency within the ANC, which has a political ramification. Um, that's probably why. Uh, varying views on the WhatsApp line as well. Uh, one uh, person saying, Tabi firmed herself in her 702 interview last week that her LSE master's was in fact in economic history, not economics. Those are two completely different specializations. And then Motla Nalo saying, FYI, Tabi has two master's degrees, an MA from WITS and the MSc from LSC. There truly was no need to lie about a doctorate, but we will sadly never know the why. She's so qualified as an economist that she will definitely continue to work and will do it privately and at her pace. She has also built a network of powerful people and organizations, some of which will go above and beyond to ensure she rises once more, just not publicly. They can attest, attest to her competencies. Um, and that is Motla Nalo in Cape Town. Thank you for all of your views. As I've uh, made the point, I feel very sad about all of this. You never know what people are going through. We don't know the why, um, but certainly there are ramifications for what has happened. 702. The Midday Report with Mandy Wiener. Let's walk the talk. A really interesting and important story in Ground Up about a multi-million rand Gauteng Beauty Academy grant that is under investigation. Grants to two organizations that provide training in beauty and farming are currently under investigation, according to the Gauteng Department of Social Development, uh, ground up revealing that over 114 million rand has been given to these two organizations, the Beauty Hub Academy and Dara Corp. Um, and this is a probe that started in October last year. Let's find out more about this with Raymond Joseph from Ground Up. Raymond, good afternoon to you. Thank you very much for, Hi, Mandy. for your time. Great to have you on, as always. Uh, tell Thank us you. about these grants that were uh, given by the Gauteng Department of Social Development. That's a huge amount, 114 million rand to two organizations. Over two years, yes. So 
So, Mandy, what happened is I was sent a copy of the 2023 grants uh, payments to nonprofits in the social sector by the Gauteng Department of Social Development. And um, so I'm a data journalist. So one of the first things I did was to, to go through, through, through those grants looking for outliers. So outliers were something that stood out, that were out of the norm. And those two grants, the sheer size of them, stuck out like a sore thumb. They really did. Um, I, 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 then, and I, I then started looking, I started digging deeper. And, and, and what I discovered, and um, to be fair, I was assisted by, by Lisa Vetten, who's an academic and a researcher on poverty based at WITS. Um, and, 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 and what we discovered was the, that there had been deep, deep cuts in, in the, the GS, GDSD social develop, development grants um, at a time when these, when these organizations were getting so much money. Um, I then started looking at the organizations in particular. So, so Beauty Hub is very interesting. Because Beauty Hub, this is straight out of the lottery playbook, by the way. In fact, it's straight out of the Lotopreneur playbook, where you've got a, a private for-profit company, and Beauty, Beauty Hub Academy has got outlets uh, all around Gauteng. It's got several, and they train several thousand people a year, and it's not cheap. It's not cheap at all. These subsidies that they got cover 1,130 people who receive social grants. And just very simple arithmetic, if you take the, the amount of the grant and divide it by the number of people, that's 56,000 rand a head. Now, the, 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 grant, the grant was given to the non-profit arm, but the services were delivered by the for-profit arm, which... It's, it's the kind of thing we saw with lottery corruption all the time. Yeah. Um, with, with Derricorp, Derricorp was, um, oh, um, Derricorp was, was bought off the shelf. So it was an existing company that had never traded before in 2020. Um, uh, 2020. Um, in, in a very short time, it got three and a half, three and a half million rand. Um, to to train people and what they they train they are an inter, they are an interesting NPO is what they do is agricultural training but they do it in a rural setting and they use on state land so the, these projects are very often in military camps for example um, and and they use this land um, this land or underutilized state land to to, to help set up co-ops or else food gardening um, so, for, for people. And, and so, sorry, let me just finish this through. And, and within, within uh, being bought off the shelf in 2020, within under two years, they got tens of millions of rands and then tens of millions of rands the next year. Um, so they didn't really have a track record, to be honest with you, to be given that much money. And there are other organizations in both those areas, beauty and farming, that do get subsidies, um, but nothing like this.
Nothing like this. So, Raymond, just just briefly, um, I'm impressed for time, unfortunately. Sure, but just just sure. briefly. So, do we know who actually benefited here? Um, who who's behind Beauty Hub and and Derek Corp? And and you know, is is there um, any kind of criminal investigation going on? Well, I'm not. I'm not sure of a criminal investigation. So, look, the people between Beauty Hub and Derek Corp. I, Beauty Hub has got two directors. Derek Corp has got, I think, five different directors. I did not find proof of um, corruption, but just because I didn't find it immediately, um, it could well exist. But I, I, a day after my story was published, GDSD, who'd, who'd answered all my questions and never mentioned this investigation, suddenly popped out of the woodwork with a media release saying, oh, there's this huge investigation going on, um, looking into grants to nonprofits, and these two were included in them. And, and, and significantly in the press release, which blew me away completely, is... And I, and I did publish a link to an advert where they were advertising for people to serve on um, committees to oversee the grants and do monitoring and um, evaluation. And that suggests to me that this was, and these, they say, will be independent. This suggests to me that that was entirely done within, within, with, within GDSD. They have suspended four people and they say that more suspensions are possible. Raymond, thank you so much. Uh, Raymond Joseph. My pleasure, Mandy. Thank you, thank you. Raymond Joseph from Ground Up. You can go to Ground Up to read his article on that. What's up, Mandy? On 072-702-1702. Mandy, I've got a quick question about the value of a PhD outside of academia. In general, I think a master's is more than enough to start working as a professional and and getting experience. I don't know what value a PhD actually brings beyond academia. So if you want to stay at a university and teach, great, but uh, a PhD in economics versus having a master's in it, uh, I don't think brings much value because it's usually a very, very niche PhD that you've done. Uh, Good day. Thank you very much for that WhatsApp voice note. Just to counter that on the WhatsApp line, a Big Will says a PhD will and always, always open more doors than a master's, especially where the advice required is at a highly strategic and or academic level. We cannot water down the value of a PhD simply to accommodate someone with a master's. Uh, she herself recognized the value of a PhD, hence why she purported to hold one. That's uh, Wilson in Johannesburg. So there's two different views there around uh, developments around Tabiloka. 7.02, the Midday Report, Monday to Friday, 12 to 1 p.m. Safety uh, on Table Mountain back in the spotlight. Western Cape Police arresting a 23-year-old man for an armed robbery, an alleged attempt rape of a female hiker at Lion's Head in Cape Town. He's due to appear in court tomorrow. And then in a separate incident, a suspected robber allegedly falling to his death uh, in a trail above Camps Bay after he was apparently pepper sprayed in a separate incident. Well, let's speak to Megan Taplin, who's the Table Mountain National Park Manager Megan, good afternoon to you. Thank you very much for your time. Um, how concerned should people be around safety on Table Mountain following these latest incidents at the weekend? Good afternoon. Well, people should always, um, you know, take the appropriate measures to make sure that they're safe, like 
um, being well prepared for their hikes and, and hiking in groups. But we have seen, despite the latest incidents, we have seen a big decrease in incidents that have happened in the park. If we look at the figures from October last year, when October, November, there were quite a few incidents. Um, but in December and January, there have been six and five incidents respectively. So, you know, due to the increased safety measures that have been put in place, as well as the collaboration between sand parks, uh, the city of Cape Town law enforcement, as well as the South African police service, um, there, has, there, have been, there has been a big decrease. Uh, tell us about some of those, those safety measures. Uh, what has been done over the, the, the recent past? Well, um, you know, there have been uh, more patrols put in place and joint operations that have been run. So we are uh, meeting with the the City of Cape Town law enforcement as well as South African police on a bi-weekly basis um, in order to make sure that we share information, um, that we're all on the same page in terms of what's happening where, and that we can jointly deploy our forces to make sure that there are enough officials um, at these uh, tourist places, um, you know, across the landscape. Of course, the Table Mountain National Park stretches from all the way from Signal Hill to, uh, in the north to Cape Point in the south. So it's a, it's a large area to cover and uh, ranges can't be everywhere at once. That's why the joint collaboration is so important. We've also deployed uh, tourism monitors who are funded by the Department of Tourism um, to be eyes and ears in our tourist places and give people safety information. Um, so there's a number of, of, inc- of uh, um, measures that have been put in place. We also have our, um, our special operations team who operate with a canine unit and plan, you know, using intelligence that comes into our operations room, uh, we then deploy them into specific areas to target any criminal activities. Uh, obviously, we would never want to deter people from uh, from hiking on the mountain, from visiting the mountain. You want the opposite. Um, the more people that are on the mountain, I imagine, the safer it is. Uh, so what what advice would you give to people who uh, are thinking about about visiting? Yeah, the advice that I would give is just that, um, you know, we have had a bumper tourist season. We have had a lot of people visiting the park over December and January. So, you know, there, there have been a few incidents, but compared to the number of people that have visited the park, um, it's a small percentage. So, again, I would just ask that people prepare properly for their for their outings and make sure that you're in a group. Or if you are alone, then rather hire a guide who knows the, the hiking trails well. You know, we have 850 kilometers worth of hiking and mountain bike and horse riding trails. So there's a lot of, of the Table Mountain that you can explore in the Cape Peninsula. Um, but make sure that somebody knows when you're, when you're departing as well as when you're scheduled to come back so that they can raise the alarm. And then also save the, the emergency numbers on your cell phone. Um, there are um, emergency numbers on our posted on our um, signboards in the park. And, um, you know, then we can get help to you as soon as possible if you do need. Um, also, just make sure you've got the right gear um, and that you, you stick to the, the signposted trails so that you're not wandering off into areas where people don't know where you are. Megan, thank you so much. Uh, Megan Tapton, the Table Mountain National Park Manager, speaking to us there about uh, safety uh, on Table Mountain and within the park as well.